Hello and welcome back to the show. So I am super excited today to be sitting down here with my guest, Paul David Thompson. Paul is a real estate investor, a best-selling author, and a real estate coach on top of all of that. And today we'll be talking all about how you can find that really that moment in your life where you know you realize that you should be doing a little bit more than you are doing right now. And Paul's going to be sharing his story and uh, you know all the experience that he has. So Paul, without further ado, I want to welcome you to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. So before we get started into anything, would you mind just kind of sharing your story a little bit, telling us a little bit about you and your background and how you got to be this full-time investor, full-time coach, and uh, even been featured on the uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. So, yeah, that's right. So I started my career as an engineer, and I worked my way up the corporate ladder. And about 15 years into that career, I realized I had been climbing the wrong ladder all along, and I needed some sort of a, a wake-up call, this kind of uh, come-to-Jesus moment, so to speak, that to made me realize that I'd really been kind of phoning in things for a while, and I really hadn't been spending a lot of time and energy on building my own dreams. I was spending my time and energy helping somebody else build their dreams. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of people come from that same mentality, right? Everybody who is kind of in real estate, in one way or another, uh, has that that moment in their life where they realize they should be doing something a little bit more than just building somebody else's dream. So kind of mm -hmm. walk us through that, if you don't mind, of what was it that really made you realize um, that this was kind of your calling card uh, mm -hmm. was real estate and, and not, you know, continuing down the road? Because I would say, you know, from just looking at other people, um, you know, the people who do move into building their own business are in the minority. They are. Yeah. And it's, it's not trivial to start your own business. And it's not something you want to go into um, half-heartedly. You need to have some sort of driving purpose beyond just making money to start your own business. You need to have something that's that you, that you really want to sink your teeth into and understand that there's going to be struggle along the way and that the struggle is worth it for you. In my case, I was in the corporate world and I'd always had this kind of nagging feeling that I really wanted to do something on my own but I didn't have any ideas. I, I was not and am not a classic entrepreneurial uh, personality. I just didn't have, I wasn't the kid that that sold candy, uh, <laughs> play the arbitrage candy game at school and got in trouble for it. I, I don't have that story. I was instead raised in an environment where I was told to you know work hard and get a job so that I could not be poor. And that's what I did is I, you know, when I was good at math and science, so I got an engineering degree and got a marketable job making something like 45 grand in the year 2000, uh, which wasn't life-changing money, but it was a lot of money than my parents had made at the time. And so it, I had kind of changed my socioeconomic status by doing so. But at 22 years old, I got a job making, you know, 40, 50 grand, whatever it was. And then I thought, is this really what I'm going to be doing for the next 40 years? Is this like is this grind it? But I didn't really have an alternative. And it wasn't until 15 years into that career that I had kind of my wake up call moment where I was on a, a beach vacation. And I asked for permission to extend that beach vacation another week because they'd had a cancellation. And I had the money to pay for it. My kids were out of school. My wife's a stay at home mom. So her schedule was open. All I had to do was work from 
the 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 beach house while the kids were at, were down at the beach playing my wife would watch them and i would just work normal hours but just from the beach house and that phone call i, I which i thought was going to be just like a you know a courtesy what ended in well we don't do that here uh, i expect your aspect to work monday at eight o'clock click uh, oh okay i guess i'm not staying another week i guess i'm going back to work because i need this job i was a single income family and i didn't really have the option of not working anymore so that was kind of my moment that I realized I'm really not that important. This company uh, treats me as disposable and expendable, and I, I don't rank that high. And I needed to find some alternative way to make my money so that I didn't have to be uh, beholden to some corporation. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really you know important part of everybody's journey is finding out kind of you know, finding out that you're not as important to the company as you think, yeah. if that makes sense, right? Because I think a lot of people, when they have, you know, high paying jobs or they're doing well in their in their current positions, it's really easy for them to just kind of stay very comfortable in that position. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people don't tend to make that switch is because they're, they're comfortable, right? Would you say that's the case for you as well Is that, you know, it, it did take you 15 years. So, you know, in that 15 years, what was kind of, kind of keeping you, you know, doing what you were doing? Complacency. Yeah. Um, the corporate life is just not bad enough to switch because you make a decent income. I mean, your, 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 your bills are comfortably uh, cared for. I mean, you, you have disposable income. And it's not terrible. Uh, you just lose a little bit of your soul every year because they take a little bit away from you. They expect a little bit more. The the benefits aren't quite as good as they used to be last year. <laughs> and they just kind of work you into this, you know, uh, people call them golden handcuffs, but I would consider, you know, like, like copper handcuffs. Like it's valuable, but it's not, you don't have this parachute unless you make it to the, you know the C level, and you're like you know the CFO, the COO, CEO. You're you're not going to get this golden parachute. You know you have a respectable income, but they're not sharing equity in the company with you in any meaningful way, and you are simply a cog in the machine. And as we've seen with how things go in the corporate world now, uh, you're disposable. Like when it doesn't make sense for you to work anymore, then you, you suddenly get, find yourself on the other end of a layoff when you thought you'd been doing a good job. Right. And that's a really good point to bring up actually, because I think for many people who stay, you know, with a, with a W2 job, if you will, um, mm -hmm. the big reason is because you hear the word security being thrown around a lot, Right. but based on kind of what we've seen, right. You know, having somebody else determine your paycheck is not necessarily the most secure thing uh, right. in the world is actually more secure um, creating your own income or at least supplemental income um, mm -hmm. on the side. So that way you can provide, even if the person give, writing your paychecks or signing right. off on your paychecks says no more. Right. Yeah. I think it's incumbent on all of us to m make a mad dash race to create some basic level of financial independence where you don't need a job to comfortably live for a few years. Uh, you know, if you can save a percentage of your income and invest it in something else that uh, you have equity in, whether it's a, you know, stocks or real estate or a business that you start on the side, you want ownership. Like you're never going to retire. You're never going to be able to have independence unless you are making money outside of exchanging your time for 
money. And that's a trap we all get pulled into is that we think the only way we can make money is by exchanging our most precious um, resource, which is time for a dollar. And when we do so, we're giving up this very precious moment that we cannot renew for something that is almost infinitely renewable. And so it's a, it's a very unfair exchange of value when you think about it that way. And so it's, it's a system that works because you are human capital. And when you think of yourself as being human capital, it's like, wait a second, I'm, I'm more valuable than that to myself, aren't I? And so what can I do to put myself in a position where if I want to work a job, that's fine, but I don't need to work a job. Right. Absolutely. And I love that you said that as well, because, you know, trading your time for income, even if it is in your own business, yeah. right, you want to set up a, a way where you're not trading your time directly for an income. Yes. Yes. Don't fall into the trap of being self-employed only to realize that's your, that's your new job. But it's even more demanding than working for a corporation. <laughs> yeah. And you just, you own your own job, right? And you're right. kind of your own boss in that sense. And a lot of people are a lot harder, harder on themselves yeah. uh, than even their companies are on. Um, right. So another question that I probably have, and I think a lot of people are thinking of themselves are, you know, what if, you know, they don't have kind of that moment, right? I think, you know, it came about for you very spontaneously mm -hmm. as you were, right. you know, planning this vacation. And then all of a sudden the company kind of just, you know, shut the door on your face. Right. But for a lot of people, you know, they go 50, you know, 60 years without having that. And they just kind of waste their, waste their life away. So what would you say to, to somebody like that, who maybe they are running their own business and maybe just not mm -hmm. putting enough effort into it? Or what, what does it take? Well, it's a really good question. So, and that's that's the kind of the fundamental question we should be asking ourselves is kind of what are we here to do and like what makes us tick? And the the so sad reality is that so many people spend their entire lives not really living life for themselves. They live life for somebody else. It's the most common regret of the dying when interviewed on their deathbed is like, I wish I had lived um, life more for myself and I wish I hadn't worked as much. Those are the two most common <laughs> Um, regrets of people who are on their deathbeds. And so I think it's something we should take a lot of insight from. And so every single one of us are going to have some sort of moment in our lives where we realize that we haven't been doing things the way we probably should have been. Like we, we've missed some sort of call to action in our lives and it will be some sort of interrupt in your life, whether it's like the uh, beach story that I had or being laid off or having a health scare, somebody precious in your life dying something bad, bad news, you're going to get bad news someday. And it's just the reality of, of living life. And when that moment comes, you're going to have a new change of perspective. And my call to action for you is why wait for this terrible moment to then reconsider your life and think, do I have my priorities straight? And that's ultimately you decide what your priorities are, but why wait for these big moments in your life that you don't know when they're coming and you're caught flat-footed? I was caught very much unprepared and I was very lucky that I started working on my plan to control my financial situation before I was laid off because two years later, the story continues that I was laid off kind of two years into my three-year exit plan. I had my, my feet on the edge of the cliff and I was ca calculating if I could jump yet and someone came by and pushed me. And thankfully I had already started because I had the momentum necessary then to figure out how to build my plane before it crashed. So many of us will be on that edge and we'll just get pushed off the edge with no warning. And we're just flailing and flapping and we got where we're going to crash and burn. And that's what, that's what I want to avoid.
Yeah. And I think everybody should avoid that as well. It's, it's not, you know, it's not if it's when, right. So it's, it's not yeah. if you're going to get laid off, it's, it's when, right. It's not mm-hmm. if you're going to, something bad's going to happen. It's when it's going to happen right. and you want to get ahead of it. Right? right. Even if you, you like, even if you don't build like an income in that time that can sustain you, True. you have built in that time skill sets, right. And in different ways of thinking right. that you can use to take forward, to build that income. Right. Yeah. We build, um, we have time and talents and we use those to make ourselves uh, flexible and gives us as many options as possible. And when you give yourself optionality, the whole point of having money is not to buy things. The The whole point of having money is to give yourself options. And when you have options, then you can decide, I'm going to take a few years off. Um, my, my mom just died and I'm just not in a place to, um, to really think about work and I want to spend time with my with my dad. I mean, these are stories that have happened in our in my, our lives personally recently where people who are in their financial position were able to just say, you know what, I, I don't need this job right now. I'm I'm you know I'm not upset by anything. I just this job is not my priority anymore. And they have the financial position to not go to work and perhaps take um, a one to two year hiatus from work and then reconsider and and get perspective and then and then think about what they're gonna do with their life. A lot of people cannot afford to do that. Like something bad happens in their life and they have like after the funeral, three days later of bereavement leave, they have to be back at it. Like we had a terrible story of a, a person I used to work with at the old company that her her son tragically died in three days of bereavement leave and she had to get back to work. It was, it was a tragic, horrible accident and it didn't nobody knew it was coming and 10-year-old boy died. She had to go back to work. That's terrible. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what doing these things, it, that's what's going to help you avoid these situations, right? Because, right. you know, I think it, it goes a lot beyond, like you said, just the money and, and what you can do with the money. It's it's more right. about how much control we have over our own lives and right. over our emotions, if, if you think about it. Because if, you, if you're forced to, to go back to work, I mean, it's one thing that, you know, you're spending time to, you know... <laughs> out of your day to, to do that. But it's another, it's like, what is the emotional uh, turmoil, if you will, of, yes. of having to do that, of having to go back to the office and play office politics and, and right. be stressed out about work and have people put more pressure on you when you're in that mindset, which nobody should be, should be really in that position if you think about it. Right. Right. And the way the U S and most of much of the Western world and the, the capitalist world is set up, amazing things comes from that. But one of the costs to that is that your human capital and if you, your your rights um, are fairly limited in the scheme of things, you know, some really good companies have some pretty decent policies. Um, we have some regulations that make sure you have things like FMLA, but it's like there's a limit to that. And it's you're extremely vulnerable to the the similitudes of life you know there's there's going to be a curveball thrown at you and our social safety network is there but it's very basic and i don't think we should be sitting around waiting for a corporation or a government to take care of you uh, i think we should all be working on creating our our personal and uh, our well-being our financial situation our mental health in such a way that we're um, more anti-fragile. We can take the the curveball of life and take it um, with um, 
limited stress and we have an environment and an ecosystem that is set up to be give us time to figure things out and we just don't we're not given a lot of time by the way our our work structure is set up in, in most cases absolutely and, and i think you're right i think you know when when life does throw a curveball right there's some people who are in a position to deal with it right with more grace than others just simply right. because they can make certain choices that other people just they just can't or it's going to be a lot more difficult right because right, right. you're in a financially i guess independent position you can make a lot of sacrifices that somebody who is in a position where they're not financially independent can't necessarily make because it'll just you know kind of tumble and snowball into a worse and worse situation right so yeah. so it's absolutely about you know being able to to have that control over your life mm -hmm. and and taking the steps to to do that so Speaking on that subject a little bit, um, you decided to kind of jump into real estate when you mm -hmm. first um, realized that you need to be building your own business and, and building your own income. So how did that decision come to be? You know, what was mm -hmm. it that made you jump into real estate and maybe not one of the other 100,000 businesses that are out there? Right. A lot of choices for sure. So uh, when I was going through my exercise of figuring out like, I've got to figure out another way to earn an income and I want that choice to set me up to create financial independence, personal time freedom, and geographic freedom. And so I looked at things like starting my own business. I know good ideas. I looked at uh, buying a franchise. I looked at being an insurance agent for like State Farm or something. And every single one of those situations always felt like I was just buying myself another job. I didn't want to jump from the frying pan into the fire. So I was like, what else can I do? And I just thought, well, you know, I've always kind of tinkered with the idea of maybe getting into real estate. Why don't I just buy a rental property and just see how it goes? So I kind of went down that, that, you know, train of thought of let's look into what it takes to be a real estate investor. And of course, naturally at the time, bigger pockets was the, you know, one of the first things that shows up in a search. So did a lot of podcast uh, listening and book reading and, and, I kind of thought, okay, the Burr method, that makes sense to me. I happen to live in a market where cash flow at the time in 2015 was pretty easy to come by just without a lot of extra work. So let me just buy and try and find a, a rental property. And so I bought a rental property for like 30 grand and put $10,000 into it and did the Burr method. And I used private money to put for the 30 grand and I used $10,000 of my own money and rented or got it rehabbed, rented it refinanced it, got all my money back out, put my money back in my pocket, paid off my private lender and was making a few hundred dollars of cash flow per month, you know, on, on paper. It's like, okay, like that's a proof of concept. This thing works, this, this burr method that, that they, that Brandon Turner coined from bigger pockets, it, it's viable. Let me do that a few more times. And I think I went on to do like 18 of those in the next 18 months. And I did I, I just went on a tear buying rental properties in, in my area. I started flipping a few houses, started doing a little wholesaling, and I just kind of got hooked. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think a lot of people do gravitate towards real estate because it's something that you can you can learn mm -hmm. uh, from people who've already done it in the past. Right? There's a framework in place rather than having to learn something completely on your own. Right. And it's fairly passive, and there's a lot of benefits that come that come with it as far as the wealth building and the, and the tax mm -hmm benefits that comes with real estate. So mm -hmm. you mentioned you started off with the Burr method, right? So aside mm -hmm. from, 
you know, the fact that it was very popular on bigger pockets at the time, and it, it probably still is. Yeah. Uh, was there any other reason why that was just kind of like the way you, you decided to start off? Do you suggest new investors to do the same? Or maybe if you were to go back, would that be something that you might have done a little bit differently? I don't think I would have done anything differently at the time because it was a good market for buying real estate in 2015. So buying cash flowing properties was was very attainable at the time. Interest rates were uh, not the lowest they've ever been, but they were still com comparatively lower than they are now in 2023 as we record this. So I, I liked the idea that I could just inch my way into the market. And so it allowed me to learn at a fairly slow pace like what it takes to actually manage rental property. And it turns out I'm a terrible property manager. I have no business managing tenants and I needed to hire help. I learned that lesson pretty quickly. I learned very quickly that I, I am not handy, don't care to be handy and have no interest in swinging a hammer whatsoever. Like that I needed to hire professionals to do that. It cost more in, in dollars, but it doesn't cost my time to go do it. And so I, I learned gradually what it took to run a business. I, I learned uh, very uh, way too late that I needed to hire a professional bookkeeper much sooner than I did. If anybody listening to this and you're in the business or any kind of business, you need to get your books in, in order. They're probably not. Hire a good bookkeeper. 50 to $70 an hour is worth it because they're fast and they're good and they give and they, and they oftentimes will help you pay for themselves because they make filing taxes so easy. So that's a big lesson I learned very early is good. There's a good business to be in, but get your books in order because unless you're an accountant type, which I'm not, you're not going to do it right and you need help. So that's probably your first hire. Yeah. That's a really good, a uh, really good piece of advice there because I think a lot of people, they don't, and maybe it's just because they don't want to think about it. Right. I think it's the, yeah. the, the least sexiest part of the business is, is bookkeeping and, um, you know, they just kind of put it off until the very end, until they have to do it. And then when they do it, they're super stressed out because they right. don't know what they're doing. Right. Uh, but they'd also don't want to hire somebody to do it because they just feel like it's one of those necessary evils that, right. you know, it's it's not like a good investment even. Yeah, that sounds uh, like you're talking from experience right there. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think a lot of people have the same experience, right? Yeah. As far as getting you being newer into the business. And that's probably another good point to talk about here is just, you know, that mindset shift that you have to make being from an employee where, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things are kind of taken care of for you, right? Your benefits, you don't have to necessarily, mm -hmm. you know, file your own taxes, you kind of just get right. the form. Yep. Um, and moving into that, you know, here is your business, and you are the person responsible, not just for yourself, but everybody else that's, you know, working within and around your business as well. So how much mm -hmm. was that as far as like a mindset shift that you had to make? Was it a little bit more gradual, like you said, because you weren't you didn't necessarily just jump in head first. Yeah, that was a big transition for me when I was laid off from my job. I was already doing a business on the side, but I wasn't really relying on the income on the side to live off of. I was just taking the cash flow and what I was making and just reinvesting it back in the business. I wasn't having to pull a payroll off of that to live off of. So when I was laid off suddenly, I thought, oh, okay, I better start setting things up correctly. And during the process of learning how to become a full-time business owner and uh, a, a no-time uh, W-2 employee, there was a big mindset shift there because every two weeks that 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 uh, paycheck was not deposited in my checking account. 
And I had to like create that system for myself. I had to, you know, figure out the the, the process of setting up a W two like payroll structure from my own company to myself. And one thing is you'll learn in rental properties is that the expenses come in in very consistent trips and drabs, but then the expenses come in, in big surges. So you can be very careful that you think you have a lot of money and it turns out you actually don't because you need that money for repairs or you need that money to file taxes or you need that money to, you know, cover some sort of expense or, you know, you're paying your annual insurance or whatever. And so you want to like learn the profit first system for real estate so that you're not making the classic mistake of looking at your the bank account balance as the way to budget for your business. That's a very common mistake that I did make it a while until I figured out the profit first system. Right. I think money management, right. It's the biggest, the biggest uh, hurdle for yeah. a lot of people. Cause before, I mean, if you're working a job, you, people don't manage money, right. Even, even entrepreneurs and self-employed individuals don't manage their money um, as much as they should. And right. but that's, that's the most important part of, of creating financial freedom because there's people out there who they might not even run a business, but because they they manage your money correctly, they are able to be financially free a lot earlier than right. other individuals that are out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's a, a thing that we're not really taught in school anymore. You know, we used to have this like concept of home economics, like that's not even taught anymore. And we're sure not really taught how to deal and run the economics of a business. We talk about things at a very academic level in most of our, our education program in the US and probably the world is it's very, very impractical. It's so in your head and academic and theoretical and like nobody knows how to even apply for an EIN, much less uh, get a business bank account set up or certainly how to do cash flow management, run a PL or read a balance sheet. They have no idea what these things mean. I know people who are have gone through business school and have taken accounting classes and they in reality have no idea what those things mean. Right. Absolutely. I, I think that's uh even if going to business school, right? A lot of people feel like that they're going into it, that they're going to learn how to run a business, but then they come out of it knowing nothing and, and being the perfect person to help somebody else run their business. Right. I think that's they, the point of that. They train employees. I mean, that, that's what our, our academic educational system is very much designed around creating the next round of employees. They are not, it, it, probably a few exceptions, but for the most part, we're not being taught how to be a, a, clever business owner and how to create what uh, a product market fit and how to run AB tests and how to run Facebook ads and how to actually think like a business owner. Very few applications of, of the education program I've ever seen that actually helps people learn those skills. Yeah. I, I haven't seen any that, that are currently out there. I mean, uh, but it is important, right? Getting into business, you have to do the education on your own in a way. So you, do. you mentioned a lot of the books that you, you read, you know, Profit First and mm -hmm. some other books that really are really helpful for a lot of business owners that are out there. So what was kind of like the education process, um, you know, for you, um, educating yourself on all these things, you know, obviously bigger pockets and listening to yep. podcasts. Was there like a structured way or did you just kind of dive in into all of this information and then just kind of pulled out whatever you needed when you do needed them? Yeah, I exercised my curiosity. I think we really need to lean into, okay, I want to know how to run 
the numbers on a rental property? Where's a book that talks about that? And read two or three different versions of it and understand that there are different philosophies around that. Uh, I know we all want to hear the answer on how to do everything. And there's rarely a answer that is always 100% right. There's like philosophies and, and schools of thought on how to even run numbers on a rental property, something in the scheme of things, but it's pretty simple. There's a lot of opinions on, on that. And like, you need to go do your research and read everything you can. And I think that is the, the the fundamental nature of any kind of entrepreneur is you got to go figure stuff out. Like you, you I, I don't know how to run Facebook ads, go figure out how to run Facebook ads. I don't know how to write a good copy on a website. I need to go figure out how to do that. I, do I even know how to stand up a website? Go find some tool that lets you stand up a website. And it doesn't mean you have to like actually you know, know WordPress or actually know HTML or any of the software languages, but there are a lot of tools that allow you to create these things very easily, but you need to learn those tools. You know, these codeless uh, uh, Squarespace, that sort of stuff. Go learn one of those, pick one, get a website stood up. And in 20 hours, you can learn most things good enough to, to have something viable in the marketplace. You're right. Absolutely. And I, and I love that you brought up, you know, the fact that there is no one answer to a solution or a problem that somebody has, especially in running your own business, because there isn't right. There is mm -hmm. so many different people with different types of thinking that are successful in their own right, that it can, it can sometimes create a situation where if the person isn't necessarily very savvy in the, in the ways of, of educating themselves as a business owner, see that, oh, there's, you know, <laughs> there's conflicting information here yeah. but you know it, it's that's but that's the cool thing about this that you can have all these different possibilities and different avenues to be successful but and i think you know you could probably touch on this a little bit is would you say that you know it, it all starts from what your end goal is and you have to have a very clear picture of what it is that you want to create with your business that can provide for you so that you mm -hmm. can then work backwards and then pick the school of thought or create your own from picking all the different ones that you're that you're learning from and that and then just run it with it that way yeah you definitely want to start with the end in mind um you know the classic advice from the uh start with your end state and think five or ten years out what kind of life do you want to be able to lead in five or ten years and then spend the next five years living lean and learning a ton and finding what you can do in the marketplace that somebody's willing to pay you for whether that's uh, running a rental property or, you know, running your own business or consulting or, you know, whatever your discipline or niche is, pick a, a discipline, a, a niche that you enjoy doing, something that you're curious about, something that the market has demonstrated that they're willing to pay for, and then get really good at, at providing that service or product at, at amazing quality. And then once you figure out those things, okay, now build the system around it so that I can replicate this and then scale it. I mean, that's kind of the order of, of added, you know, order of operations that you're going to go through. And you may have to start and stop a few times. I've started and stopped at several businesses because I found I just wasn't a good fit. I was doing a fair amount of one-on-one -on -one coaching for a while and I enjoyed it, but I'm an introvert. And when I would talk to somebody one-on-one -on -one like you and I are doing here and I'm coaching you and I'm on Zoom for an hour, Afterwards, I would be exhausted. I mean, I was just, my tank was just run dry. And then I'm supposed to get on another call with somebody else to try and sell them that service. I wasn't there. I mean, I wasn't, I mentally wasn't there. 
And I found that I do a lot better in the one-to-many kind of mastermind format where I have some space to hear other people talk. And I can still give advice. I can still help. But I just, and it makes less per person probably, but I'll probably make more per hour doing that than if I were doing one-on-one coaching. But for some people, they may like the intensity of the one-on-one coaching and they want to take somebody under their wing and help them grow. That might be a good fit for you. So a lot of it depends on your personality, uh, what kind of, uh, what lights you up. And that's going to be different for all of us. And so you really want to find that thing in your life that you just is so purpose-driven. I just, I just really like doing it. It's still going to be the hardest hell. Do not think that I'm saying that you can go out and do anything and just follow your passion and whatever is is easy. I do. No, no. You, you find something that is just like, I can do this and I feel good helping people do this. And I'm going to work through the struggle, even though it's, are, are you're successful despite the struggle. Like you think the struggle is worth it. Anything worth doing is going to be difficult in Christ's sacrifice. I love that. I love that you said that. You you it's You have to pick something where, you're willing to continue despite all the challenges, right? And because challenges are unavoidable, it doesn't matter if you're working for somebody else or working for yourself. And it doesn't matter what type of business you're in. There's no easy, easiest business that's out there. If you, if you, if you think about it, right. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are Googling right now, what's the easiest business to start or what's the easiest (laughs) way to get financial freedom and real estate. There isn't one, right? right? Maybe, you know, subjectively there is, but then again, it gets back to what you were saying you have to know yourself and know what you're comfortable with and what is it that's really driving you. So that way to you individually, specifically the path that you're following is quote unquote, the easiest way, because you're able to uh, you're able to stand your ground, if you will, and continue pushing forward despite all the challenges that are coming your way. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. Absolutely. So just one, you know, kind of moving on into you know, a different part of what you're doing now, you know, obviously you mentioned a little bit about, you know, some of the coaching that you're doing. So what was mm-hmm. it as far as what part of your career that you made, made it realize that you kind of want to make a shift to, from just being an investor yourself to also coaching others and helping others and kind of sharing that knowledge forward. Yeah. I just love to learn. And when I have someone to share it with, it gives me all the more motivation to learn it better. And I don't know what it is um, about, me, but even when I was in, you know, junior high and high school, when I would learn something, I would then share it with my classmates. And that's how I helped reinforce what I learned. And that's just something I've always done. And, you know, you kind of do this kind of self introspection of, you know, what are the things I enjoy doing? What are the things I can talk about effortlessly? What are the things that I did even as a child? And that's one of the things that I did is I just, I I shared information Uh, and I just find myself learning something and I just can't help but tell somebody about it. And when I would go to a conference, somebody would hear me talking about something and like, oh, what you just set up and what you're talking about sounds kind of cool. Is that something you can show me? Sure. And so I would do a Zoom call afterwards and show them. And they're like, well, that's amazing. Like, I've got to pay you for that. I was like, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. And when that happens two or three times, if someone says, that was so amazing, you, that, that was life changing. You got to, you got to, you know, like, let me pay you for that. You start saying, okay, maybe I have a service people want to pay for. Right. Absolutely. And it, it does start that way a lot, right? With just, you know, you yeah. being successful in something that you're doing. And then there's just a lot of people who are gravitated towards that so that you right. start sharing what you've learned and the things that you're doing. And eventually there's just going to be so many people who are asking you for advice or asking you, you know, for 
different things, different frameworks that are working your business that right. you just start, you have to charge for it because it's not even worth your time to, 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 to talk to so many people at the same time, but you know, at the same time, you still want to help people. So you just have to make a business out of it. Yeah. And if it's something that you really enjoy doing um, and you find yourself really getting excited about providing that product or service and then people are paying you for it, like, okay, well, maybe I have something. Uh, and then you may also find that, okay, people are willing to pay me for it, but I don't actually like fulfilling or delivering on this. Like in my case, the one-on-one -on -one coaching, I did that for a while. I mean, made decent money doing it, but it's like, ah, and I, and the people that I help coach, most of them, I really liked. I mean, like some of them are still good friends of mine and I would consider them clients in other respects, but I didn't really enjoy that pattern. It wasn't a good fit for me. So, you know, there's this concept of product market fit. Well, is there a, a service um, and delivery fit? Like, you know, do, am I the guy that really needs to be doing this or no, I, do, I need to find something else that is more in tune with my personality and my values. And so, you know, you just got to kind of discover that and you don't know until you, you try it for a while. And that's why I think it's really good to run these little tiny experiments with really defined outcomes that you can run super quickly. Okay. I don't know. I need to, I'm going to try an Airbnb. What's the lightest way possible that I can try and run an Airbnb and figure out if I like it. Well, you can be somebody else's co-host. You, you can say, Hey, I'll help you run, manage your Airbnb for you, but I'll do the work. And you just let me be your co-host. I don't have to pay anything for that. I just go learn how to be a co-host. You may find out you're really good at it. You may hate, you may, you may come to find out that you hate it. Well, I'd rather find out now when I'm helping somebody else than I've bought 10 properties and turned them to Airbnbs and realize I hate it. That's actually really good advice, right? Just kind of doing it on a small scale with really, really specific outcomes that you're looking mm -hmm. for. So that way you can actually know um, whether or not this is something you want to do or you're even good at doing or, you know, if it's even going to give you the results that you want before jumping just headfirst into it and then being being so deep in that you can't pull yourself out. Yeah, the, the example that I've heard that that captures that probably better than anything is if you're really into uh, cooking and you think that you want to run some sort of catering or restaurant business, you know, cater somebody's party a couple of times. Or if you then you're like, okay, well, then maybe I'll um, host parties at my house. Okay, now maybe I'll get a food truck. And then, okay, now the food trucks are doing well, maybe I'll actually do a restaurant. Don't jump into the $150,000 restaurant before you've actually catered anybody's um, uh, party at their house first. You know, like eke your way into it to figure out what part of this business you actually like. Right. Because for a lot of people, right, they don't realize that point is, you know, the act, the business is, is a little bit different than just doing the one thing that's yeah. a part of the business. So, right. yeah. Well, awesome, Paul. I, I really appreciate you being here today and sharing your knowledge. Um, I think what you had to share is super helpful for many different people, whether they're already running their business or maybe they're thinking about jumping into running their business or maybe they're, they're part time. Right. And they're kind of teetering between the two and seeing whether or not mm -hmm. it's worth it for them to put more effort into it. Um, for anybody who is listening or watching this that want to know more about your coaching programs or want to maybe want to follow you and just kind of follow your journey, mm -hmm. what are some of the best ways or best platforms people do follow you on or to kind of check out your content? Sure. So I have a website, pauldavidthompson.com, and I'm at Paul David Con uh, all <laughs> at Paul David Thompson on TikTok, TikTok and Instagram. Awesome. We'll make sure to leave that in the description and the show notes down below. Uh, but other than that, Paul, I want to thank you again for being on the show. And before I let you sign off, is there any last pieces of advice, any last tips you want to leave with us here today? Go for it.
there is something that is calling you right now. You're like, I really should write that book. I really should try this side hustle. I really should, um, you know, ask that person out. I mean, there's something right now that is, is calling you and uh, you're, you're doubting yourself and you're wondering if you're worth it, if you're good enough for it, et cetera, and figure out a way to do the smallest type of experiment possible to see if that's something that you'd really enjoy. If you're thinking about writing a book, start writing a, a blog or a weekly newsletter and just start writing, uh, start creating something that is on your heart and you'll find very quickly if that's something that you're going to commit to, or if it's just a pipe dream and it's okay. Pipe dreams happen, no big deal, but you'll find sooner or later that there is something that is, that you, that's holding you back, back fear, doubt, worry, concern is keeping you from doing the thing that you could be. Absolutely. That's some great advice, Paul. Thanks again for being here and for our listeners. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you on the next show. Take care.